name is Andrew Deal, class of 2012, and I'm the senior vice president with the KeyDeck Club. Today I'm honored to have Dr. Dave Diles, BMI's athletic director, as our first guest on KeyDeck Connect. Dr. Diles, thanks for being here with us. Pleased to be here. Yeah, so let's begin by just talking about the overall role of an athletic director. You've got over 30 years of experience in, in athletic administration, and I was thanks for actually, sure. <laughs> actually making some notes this morning, and next November will mark, will mark uh, seven years since your start here at VMI. So if you can take yeah. us through that first 30 years of experience leading up to <laughs> VMI and, and, and really uh, what drove you to get into that profession. Yeah, um, actually, it's October 16th is when I started here, 2013. So I'm just, um, you know, coming up on seven years here. Uh, Donnie White and I, who was incredibly generous my first uh, month here, we kind of overlapped, uh, which was great. But, you know, it's been a heck of a journey. And it's um, as exhilarating today as it was uh, when I started in this profession. I owe my entry into the field to the longtime, really legendary athletics director at the University of Michigan, Don Canham. And Don was a family friend, and my father and he knew one another, and he introduced me to college athletics administration, gave me my first opportunity. <laughs> I guess the rest is history. But uh, Mr. Canham had his fingerprints on my career early on, really was a, a good mentor. Um, but then I was so incredibly fortunate to earn an opportunity at Central Michigan University working for Dave Kylitz, and I learned an equal amount from Mr. Kylitz. Um, more than anything else, how to treat people. His uh, professional skills were outstanding, but Dave was just the most humble, thoughtful, dignified man. And I learned a lot of management through working with him, although for a short period of time, uh, really made a deep impression. So. It's been a great journey, and every day, every, you know, I feel like I'm the most fortunate person in the world because I get to get up and do something that I believe in very deeply, and I know we have an opportunity to contribute in a very meaningful way to the growth, education, and development of young people through our platform, which is college athletics. Do you have a particular role? I think VMI is your fourth AD stint. You had previous stints at St. Bonaventure's, Eastern Michigan, and Case Western. Is there is there an opportunity or a job that you had prior to that that you thought was maybe your most important as far as your development and growth that led you to that athletic director's seat? Uh, prior to becoming an AD, um, yeah, everything was building uh, toward the opportunity to uh, earn a leadership role. You know, I guess uh, working at Central Michigan, uh, Dave Kylitz allowed me to expand my professional work beyond the the boundary markings, if you will, of my position description, and I was eager, and he was um, great in helping me grow and develop. And so that led me to an opportunity at Auburn, and Auburn being a large, comprehensive, you know, now what we're calling Power Five department. At that time, we called it 1A, and then it became, you know, FBS, but now it's Power Five. And the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, Roy Kramer, um, I found myself interacting with him on a pretty regular basis, amazingly, given my relatively junior status. But my position, because of Auburn's, um, the way it was organized when I was appointed, Pat Dye was our football coach and athletics director. And because of my position responsibilities, uh, I actually reported jointly to Coach Dye and the president. So at a very early point in my career, I found myself reporting to the president of a university. 
And that gave me entry point for a lot of important work within the department and across the institution to the Southeastern Conference that otherwise would not have been available if we had had a sitting AD who was not the head football coach. And that changed a short while later when Mike Lude came, as, Mike Lude came in as AD. And Mike, um, and then Coach Dye went back to being the full-time football coach. But, and Mike was just another gifted administrator who helped me grow and develop. And so just through some very good fortune early in my career, I had Don Canham, followed by Dave Kylitz, followed by Mike Lude, and those people really established a great foundation for advancement in the profession. Mm -hmm. Not specific to VMI, but as an athletic director, what are your biggest challenges? Yeah, the, the job to me is fantastic because every day you, you walk in, you think you know what you're going to be doing, but there's an unpredictableness to the work. Um, and it requires multitasking, it requires the, the ability to move easily from budget management to facility operation to long-term planning, regulatory affairs. Uh, working with people, of course, is foundational. Working with young people is absolutely the most critical part of the job. And so I find the job variety very attractive. Um, I like the unpredictableness of the work. And it takes you to so many different communities to work with, your alumni and friends of the institution, your faculty, senior leadership at the institution, uh, your coaches and staff. And so there's really a breadth of responsibility that um, is packaged in an unpredictable way, which is okay. Um, I don't think it's a job that uh, you'll do well if you're not easily transition from one topic to the next, knowing that everybody working with you or coming to you, they have something really important. And it's important to them that you give good guidance, feedback, direction, support, assistance, so that they can do, do their job well. It's not work if you have a tendency to get impatient that I think you'll do well. And so I think if you can slow down, see that people are reaching out to you with a need so that they can execute their work, then it's an incredibly rewarding profession. Let's transition into your time here at VMI. And uh, what were your goals and objectives when you got here seven years ago? And how have you been able to achieve those goals and objectives over the last seven years? Two things right on the table, one I knew about and one I didn't know about. But the first one that I knew about, we were going to be transitioning from the Big South back to the Southern Conference. I was very excited about that. I thought that was an opportunity to uh, help contribute to that move back to our historical conference home. And it was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, closed out a good chapter with the Big South, developed new relationships, and transitioned into the Southern Conference. The one thing that was waiting for me that I didn't anticipate was we had a steep hill to climb in terms of uh, repositioning the department financially. And so understanding why we were, where we were, and it's just not as simple as looking at the budget and saying there's a deficit. You know, there, there were cumulative pieces to it that you needed to understand and then understand how we did our finances here, which are different. Uh, managing money and budgets does vary from school to school because how it's raised is different. Um, 
you know, how the budget is assembled is different and historical spending patterns, of course, are different. And so we had to learn a lot about this and really uncover as much data early on as we could. And so to me, it was actually very helpful because it required a depth of learning and understanding of how this department was organized financially and how we were utilizing those resources for the betterment and advancement of the program. So, you know, cheerfully, we've worked our way through it through the good work of the agencies, the Cadet Club, the foundation. Everybody's been a great partner as well as our community. We couldn't be in this position today had we not received enormous and continuing support from our community. And that's the one thing that's very gratifying at VMI. We have people that care, and not every school can say that. And so it's been a journey. It's been a really good journey. There are other nuances to repositioning the department. I remember my first department meeting and uh, with the senior staff, and I shared with them, I said, look, things are going to change because I'm a different person. The people don't have to change. We all need to take this journey together because your collective wisdom, your knowledge and understanding of VMI will be invaluable to me. And so hopefully that set a foundation for how we could work well together. But, you know, everything about those first few years, um, you know, as I look back on it, very gratifying. And um, I think it established a, a good foundation for moving the department forward and meeting the needs of uh, the department and the institute in 2020 and beyond. So VMI obviously is a unique place. What, what did that learning curve look like for you trying to better understand VMI and, and what it was all about? And was there one person that you seemed to lean on the most uh, to ask questions or to, to reach out for advice? Uh, about VMI? Well, there wasn't one person. There's, <laughs> there's a, a good cross-section of them. Uh, VMI is a unique place. Uh, you know, a narrow mission, very specific. I found that the mission here is alive, which makes it incredibly attractive at many institutions in higher learning. The mission is somewhat of a dusty document that's, you know, brought out a couple times a year at board meetings. but. It really does to guide our, our work on a regular basis, and so I find that to be really attractive. In addition, it's really helpful that we're foundational to the mission at VMI. Athletics is absolutely critical to the overall educational journey at the Institute. You know, without question, I don't know that there's an athletics director that communicates more regularly and in greater depth with their president, superintendent, CEO than I do with General P. And so receiving his guidance uh, is absolutely imperative for me. But across the leadership team, whether it's the board or the IPC, the Institute Policy Committee, that group has absolutely been great partners. And so, you know, every day um, you don't operate in a vacuum. You need, need to communicate well. and. Uh, so there are lots of uh, connection opportunities. I will say there are a few people in the VMI community who found me early, who have stayed with me throughout, communicate with me regularly. It's appreciated. I uh, say it with a smile because it does reflect the depth of caring. Mm -hmm. And that's something that um, I hope I never fail to recognize and appreciate. People are communicating because they care. Um, that's a good thing. And you know, I have been a couple places where the depth of caring 
is not in place. I will say that I think VMI shares something with St. Bonaventure. My time at St. Bonaventure, we had people who were very committed to that institution, who cared very deeply. And there are some similarities, even though there are, there's great dissimilarity in terms of the intercollegiate program and the overall institutional mission. But in terms of the end product, people graduating from there, having a deep impression from their undergraduate experience, and remaining committed to, connected to, and in service of the institutions throughout their life, I think they have common ground. So I'm going into my eighth year in college fundraising. You know, as a player, former Division <laughs> I player, you really don't think about everything that goes on behind the scenes, but fundraising plays a huge role in college athletics. Um, can you talk about the impact that fundraising has on VMI and how that's helped grow VMI athletics? It's really simple. I tell people every chance I get, we couldn't do it without our private support. Um, our budget is vastly different. Um, when I got here and I was working through the budget, I learned really quickly that we're an institute of 1,700 cadets. It's not going to become 3,500. Therefore, our sources of revenue are capped. We just can't indiscriminately grow the undergraduate base to help fund other programs at the institution. So we do require on private giving here to a depth that other schools you know, can't imagine because we, we don't have student fees, cadet fees to support it. In addition, there's no state money coming. So there are things that I learned very quickly about how we would never be able to solve our financial challenges in front of us because of the restrictions on the ability to generate re revenues from those areas. And so it drove us into trying to focus on efficiencies, economies, trying to become good stewards of the resources, uh, hopefully contribute well to uh, a climate and a culture where people will want to give and want to be part of it. But the one thing that is absolutely certain, I know this now, maybe 25 years ago, I didn't appreciate it as much. I'm sure that I didn't. Endowment's the key. We have to have a robust endowment to carry us through the ups and downs of markets. If you book two or three bad quarters and you know perhaps annual giving goes off a little bit, which is understandable, you have to have the endowment. And building and growing the endowment is the key to sustained, uh, the, the sustainability to fund the programming, which is so important to everybody. And, and I, would, I would think to add that your coaches have been pretty happy with the increased scholarship budgets that they, they've seen over the last few years. I, I'll use lacrosse for an example. I was looking back this morning, and I want to say back in 2013, their budget was 53000 yeah. and you presented them with a $425,000 budget uh, for this yeah. upcoming year. So. Um, how has that impacted the, the coaches? Well, you know, it, it's been breathtaking, the journey. Um, and the coaches, of course, are in, remarkably appreciative, as they should be. We hope to be very responsible stewards of those resources. We want to make sure that the cadet athletes receiving that aid understand that they're receiving it due to the generosity of the generations that came before them and that they are then positioned to give back when it's their time. It needs to be perpetuated. So the coaches, of course, um, uh, are remarkably grateful. And that's been a great journey for us. Our work is far from done. As you well know, we need to continue to work to, full, to fully fund our programs. 
In addition, we need to increase operating budgets, compensation, all those things. But, you know, we're a point on the long continuum. We've made great progress and we'll continue to do that. That's the beauty of the journey is that, you know, I want to be here for the full ride to take it all the way through. And that's what makes it really attractive for us. But I will admit in 2013, without having the benefit of having seen the budgets, there were several moments when my office was back in Cameron in the quiet of the early evenings when everybody else had gone home and I was looking through the budgets. Yeah, I was um, concerned. How are we going to move this forward? Uh, because I knew the financial position of the department at that time, how lean the operating budgets and the scholarship budgets were, and wanting something more for VMI, the one thing we had was a completely committed and invested community of graduates who wanted to support. And so here we are today, you know, seven years later, um, a very different position with a lot of work ahead of us still. Let's transition to COVID. Um, <laughs> in, Can in, we please in, not? <laughs> Just kidding. In your tenure in athletics, have you had a more challenging situation that you've faced? No. Um, and I've been, um, I've had 60 minutes outside my office. And so if you want to challenge, <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely serious. When I was at Auburn, um, I received a telephone call advising me to close my office door because I was in charge of compliance. And we had an NCA major infractions case and 60 minutes came to our campus to do a story. So when Ed Bradley is outside your office door, that's a little bit different level of stress. <laughs> And they did a story and we ended up with three sports on probation, two from one case, one from another. So back-to-back -back cases at that era, you know, the NCA was still, you know, the death penalty was part of the, the discussion of college athletics and compliance. SMU had recently gone through it. It was real to us. So I went through that and that is nothing to do, <laughs> that's, that pales in comparison to the challenge that COVID-19 has presented, um, I've said many times publicly, I think it's important to restate it, while it's been incredibly difficult work, there's not another place nor another group of people I'd rather go through it with. I think we narrowed our focus, and this is my interpretation of our work early on to take care of our cadet athletes and their education, to take care of the people that work here, and to stay true to our mission. That's how our work presented to me and so it's made it, I wouldn't say easier, but more palatable going through the, the work. There have been times when I feel like everything that we do in college athletics was kind of put into a blender and we hit the, the, the on button. And so we've had to perpetually reinvent things, you know, two weeks out, three weeks out, four weeks out on this rolling cycle. And we're just now getting into a position where launching programs, return to play, restarting programs, we have been doing it, but now we're going to be executing it against other people. And so the work volume uh, has never been higher. The challenges have never seemed more daunting. But I love where we're at. I love what we're doing. I like our protocols and how we're walking toward intentionally returning to competition, which we're all dying for because it gives context for our work. And if it's something, I've been through 26 full cycles of this job, 26 yearly cycles, 
except one of the 26 was vastly different. So I had 25 years of a pattern and that kind of was all kicked to the curb. And so I'm looking forward to return to the work that we used to do, as everybody is. Um, but it's been a good journey and I feel good about it. Um, we're built for this, I think, better than most schools, so I'm really optimistic going into the winter and spring. Can you take me behind the scenes to some of the NCAA decisions and SOCON decisions that have been made throughout the process and how that all panned out? Yeah, I think from uh, an NCAA standpoint, there are two dates that really captured everything and changed things. You know, when we, we kind of drew a line through the basketball tournament, that was a big domino to fall. And then so many other NCAA and league dominoes followed. So that was in March, March 12th or 13th, if I remember correctly. And that really changed things for us. And so we went offline. You know, students were returning home for distance education. We were meeting on a daily basis and trying to kind of triage our way through the education needs and then what it meant for co-curricular uh, programs as well. And then when we received detail in the middle of August from the NCAA about um, what the requirements would be for return to play and the testing requirements, um, you know, opening up a, a hotline for athletes, the opt-out opportunity, the holding, you know, certain things, certain requirements for sports medicine that came in, which were all appropriate. Um, and you, and, but it was helpful to get it all, but it, it set the bar in a position where my first um, assessment of what it would cost to conduct testing the way that testing was defined and that cost of testing per unit on that day for the first half of the year if we launched into the fall would have been $432,000 just to test if we were going to play. So that certainly meant something to us. Um, and then we um, you know, ran those numbers again based on the decreasing cost of testing with the new guidance for the frequency of testing and what tests were acceptable and which ones are not. And for the remainder of the year now, it's just under 150,000. So we don't ever get to a position where absolutes are part of our decisions. It's a rolling decision model. It's something that we work on every day. I think you have to have a really good attitude to wade into it every day and understand that you know, we need to be at our best right now because young people and their opportunities to compete are in front of us. And if we execute well, they'll have those opportunities. So whenever I get a little frustrated, I just shift back to how much joy you get from seeing young people represent your school and knowing that if we do our work well, that's going to become available to them. And not just to them, but our community wants to see it. And so you want to deliver on it. What's the biggest challenge that VMI Athletics has had to face because of COVID? Oh, gosh. You know, I don't know that I could point to one thing. Um, you know, maybe what we're doing collectively as well as everybody in the country. I have a son who lives in New York City, so whenever I feel badly about what I'm going through, I talk to him and immediately I feel better because, you know, he's in one of the most restrictive communities in the world. And he's a teacher, so he's been teaching virtually since last March. 
And so I think the one great challenge for all of us is just making sure we stay focused on what we're trying to accomplish. Don't let COVID-19 make us a casualty of impatience. Don't let it bring about other things that are less desirable. I think we need to bring a lot of resolve and commitment to task and just understand that what we're doing is, is important. We contribute to the overall education, the growth, education, development of young people through our platform. We want to get back to it and we want to deliver that to them and then for everybody else. And so I think uh, trying to avoid COVID fatigue, and I certainly have had my moments, but um, I try to get re-energized because I believe in what we do. Well, you haven't done this alone. You have a staff and coaches. Yeah. And so what is your assessment of, of them throughout this uh, process? Top shelf. They've been really good. Um, I've been so proud of everybody. I've been proud of our, our cadet athletes. They've been incredible. You know, we had people who were training at home without any weights and our strength coaches coming up with detailed plans. Okay, you can do this if you have nothing. And this is something if you have limited weights. And then if you have access to a gym, do X, Y, and Z. Our coaches shifted and created different ways of communicating with supporting and continuing to coach and grow and advance the understanding of their sport, the skill set development of our people. And so everybody has brought more creativity. And I think if there's a word that uh, is underutilized in college athletics and particularly in our department at VMI, the creativity all this required. We had to make it up as we went. Nobody's been through this. And so, so many of our people took this as, this is not just an opportunity, we have an advantage. They really have, were in that mindset. Then there were some people in the department who really had to lock arms and help us work through the way we're gonna conduct our work when we return to the programming. Tickets have to be, you know, it seems like we're regenerating a new plan, you know, on a pretty regular basis. Um, sports medicine, Lance Fujiwara and his team had to bring in some spacing, the equipment staff on how we keep things safe and spread out and, you know, and then you, with the regulatory pieces have been ever-changing. The NCAA puts out guidance on a, on a regular basis. Lenny Brown and compliance have been superb. Our academic staff rolled up their sleeves to make sure we are helping our cadet athletes. And we posted our second best semester since I've been here in the spring when it was interrupted by going virtually. So across the department, really happy. Um, you know, there haven't been too many days. I've had a few people when I'm out who will say, gosh darn, what are you doing with your time? <laughs> and I'll say, well, that really hasn't been a problem. Um, it's different work and I think just based on having been in a pattern for 25 years that was all broken and thrown to the side. And so maybe because it's all new, it's really required that, you know, we um, you know, work a little bit harder but it's been okay. Well, it's obvious that, that you and your team through your first seven years have uh, been able to accomplish some of your goals and objectives uh, moving forward and looking forward to the next seven years. Yeah. Um, what are your goals and objectives for VMI Athletics? Yeah, I really want to position the department in a way that uh, we're on level footing with our peers. I would like to see our scholarship budgets maxed out at NCAA maximums and to have our coaches have the confidence that their recruiting efforts are not going to be tethered to 
how much money do I have in my budget, but rather answering the question, do I have it based on the NCA maximum allowable aid? If we could get there, that would be remarkably liberating. In addition, you know, if you look across our department, I would like to see us in the middle of the league in terms of compensation. I'd like to see us uh, be a department that um, shifts to more of a destination department because you've got the tools and resources and you believe in the mission and you want to be here for the long haul and that you know you're equipped with the resources to be able to execute well. And that, uh, I think that's part of becoming a more mature Division I department. You know, I would like to find more platforms to connect to our alumni. Um, we have this incredible community of people who care deeply. And I think VMI people occasionally are there, they criticize themselves maybe a little bit more than um, I would have expected seven years ago. They think of themselves as being overbearing when in fact nothing could be further from the truth in all honesty. Uh, we have people who are involved, connected, supportive, interested, they want to communicate. That's not the exclusive territory of VMI, and if anything, I think our people are, are more generous in their spirit and understanding of where we are in our competitive journey. And so I want to recognize and reward that and find new ways to connect with people. And those are all things that are really important to us. Um, obviously, academically, I'd like to be in a position where every single one of our graduates uh, of a program has been through a four-year experience with us, is walking across the stage. We have 100% graduation. We've got people, you know, either commissioning or going into the workforce knowing that there's 100% placement, which is pretty much what VMI has. But, you know, anytime you have somebody who transfers out or doesn't graduate, uh, you feel it, and you should. But I want to see everybody complete the journey, and um, I think we can never rest on our commitment to being connected in service of the mission. All right, we're going to wrap this interview up with a little fun rapid-fire session. Sure. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and uh, you give me the, the answer off the top of your head here real quick. Um, the first one, favorite golf course? Well, I've got two. Um, and one would surprise people unless they knew me really well. And there's one person in the department who's actually played this golf course with me. Uh, but. It'd be Riverside Golf Club in Mason, West Virginia. Uh, it was my father's course. It was a course I kind of grew up on, even though I grew up in Michigan. But the people who own it, the people who operate it, are as fine a people as, as exist in the world. They are incredibly supportive of my dad, um, deep friendships, and it's where you know, he spent his best years in retirement with his childhood friends playing golf as they all progressed in their life and their careers into retirement. And Riverside Golf Club is just, uh, has a really special place in my heart. Um, beyond that, I've been fortunate to play some incredible golf courses, but Enniscrone in Ireland is a remarkable place. Uh, played it with my son Mitchell a few times and dying to get back and play there. But I love Lynx Golf and uh, those two places have you know, great memories for me and affection for kind of similar reasons, both connected to family. Give me an item off of your bucket list. Well, uh, before I had to go and undergo total joint replacement, I wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> so now I'm accepting of the fact that um, that's probably not going to happen. But 
New Hampshire, where we've got a, a home that we spend a little bit of time at, um, has 48 4,000-foot peaks. And so I'm trying to summit all 48 of them. I have summited 25 of them. Of those 25, I've done probably half of them on multiple occasions, but I'm working to get all 48 4,000-foot peaks in New Hampshire. So that's a, a goal out there. It's going to take me a few more years because it's harder and harder to get up there for time to do it. If you weren't an athletic director, what would you be doing? You know, I don't know. I locked onto this career so early. I was a junior in, in college when I met, a sophomore in college, when I met Mr. Canham, and I kind of thought, well, that's what I want to do. And through his early support and guidance, um, he helped bring that to fruition. I guess I would answer this a little bit differently. There have been a couple occasions in my professional career where I've stepped back, and I think this is really healthy, to take inventory and to say, is this what I want to continue doing? Do I feel like whatever skills and professional abilities I have are best suited for this work? And a couple of occasions I've, I've returned to, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. So I never considered anything else uh, that deeply. I toyed with the idea of going to law school um, at one point as an undergraduate before the introduction with uh, Don Canham at the University of Michigan. So maybe law school, but now I've got all these attorneys in my life, my, my son Mitchell, my daughter-in-law, so I think I got that part of it covered. All right, you haven't ate all day. You're starving, it's dinner time. What's your go-to favorite meal? Well, um, my wife's a remarkable cook. I would have to say that um, she makes two things, uh, homemade calzones, which are to die for, and quesadillas, which are equal. Oh, wow. So if, I'm, if I get either one of those, I'm set. Matter of fact, occasionally, as we've gotten older and the kids get out, um, we've thought about, you know, Thanksgiving, let's not, you know, do the whole turkey thing. Let's just make calzones. <laughs> and so both of those are really good. And, um, you know, for guests who come to our house when she produces those, they're, uh, they're really well Pretty received. Pretty happy. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Dr. Dallas, appreciate you taking time to be with us today and uh, for all you do for BMI Athletics. Um, I'd also like to take this moment to thank our Keto Club leadership members for their continued support for VMI Athletics. Thank you.